being in a situation like that, you, well, I felt like there was no answer. There was no way out. And um, it got bad enough where I didn't really have the fear anymore of what those pieces were going to look like. I just knew that something had to change. And so I changed it. And I see a lot of that similar mental strength in ultra running and what I do now um, because it's exercising and using those resources over and over and over again. You're getting into a hard spot. We always have a choice. We can either feel sorry for ourselves and feel like a victim or we can stand up and we can say, I know there's answers. I know somebody out there will know something and you just take action. You take action and climb up that mountain run down that hill, keep moving your legs that are aching so bad because you'll get that much closer to the finish line. (laughs) Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 67 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. Lisa DiNardo is a badass single mom to five amazing kids and has overcome some huge life obstacles. She loves to play in the mountains, enjoying ski, snowboard, and hiking adventures with her kids. Lisa was in a seven-year marriage filled with domestic violence and abuse, and it was life or death. Through the help of victims of prevention, they secretly moved, got legal help and counseling, and completely rebuilt their life. Lisa is strength personified. As a kid, Lisa forged a deep connection to running, recalling vividly how the cinder track felt beneath her feet the first time she won a race at a Jesse Owens meet when she was only eight years old. Lisa had real talent as a runner, competing all four years in the 4x400 at Penn Relays. She earned a scholarship to run at Westchester State, but gave it up because she was feeling the pressure of how to make it all work and decided to focus on art at school. Fast forward 20 years to the onset of the pandemic, when others were out in search of toilet paper, Lisa went out and scored a pair of running shoes. It was time to get reacquainted with her old friend. She laced them up and ran every day with her son, who runs high school cross country. Sharing miles together was special and lit the fire. And her love of mountains and play led to her new love, ultra running. Lacing up those running shoes when there was nothing to do but run felt like the return of an old familiar friend. It felt powerful. Like, here we go again. Let's get to it. We've got unfinished business. Lisa won some age group awards at trail races and worked her way back from a stress fracture in her foot and recently finished her first ultra at the JFK 50 where we met. Once Lisa saw that she still carried her passion and drive for running, she jumped all in to ambassador programs for ultra, ultra spire, and bigger than the trail. And connecting with other athletes through these communities has been a game changer. I'm so grateful for Lisa sharing her amazing journey, and I'm excited to follow her adventures. I hope you all enjoy this convo as much as we did, so let's dive on in and take a listen. Lisa DiNardo, welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you doing? 
Good, Ron. Thanks for having me on here. Oh man, I'm so happy we could finally pull this off. The last time I saw you, we were hanging out in the in the high school gym after the JFK <laughs> 50, doing a little celebrating with a couple of your friends, and that was the first time we got a chance to meet in person. And and that was also, if I'm not mistaken, that was your first ultra, also, right? Yes, it was. A lot of firsts. Our first meeting, your first ultra, hanging out. What a what a cool experience, right? JFK 50. Yeah, that was an awesome. Uh... Uh, definitely, it was a challenging, but also just you know reflecting back after I kind of dug out of my my post ultra funk. <laughs> um, yeah, it was definitely a great first ultra experience for me, for sure. Love it. Well, we'll do a total deep dive on the race itself as after everybody's getting a chance to meet you and have a little intro on you, where you grew up, a little about your life and stuff like that, and you know we'll break the race down fully. So. Tell the Run Chats audience a little about where you grew up, what family life was like as a kid, some, some of the good stuff. So I grew up in Downingtown, Pennsylvania. It's in southeastern Pennsylvania, about uh, probably 40 minutes outside of Philadelphia. It's referred to as the suburbs of Philly. <laughs> um, I'm the oldest of four. Um, and there's like a lot of age gapping in there, too. So there's like four years between me and my next sister, then like 10 years between me and my brother, and then 16 years between me and my youngest sister. So um, that was interesting. There was always a lot going on at home. Um, everyone was pretty involved in sports. Um, we were always at like somebody's soccer game or basketball game or track meet or cross country meet or something. We were always all over the place. Um, we grew up like it was, it was a very good, we had, I had a very good family life looking back. Um, we just spent a lot of time together. We were the family that always sat down, you know, for dinner together every night, um, on the weekends, like every meal we sat down together and ate together. <laughs> um, but yeah, I went to a public school near my parents' house for kindergarten through fifth and then sixth through uh 10th grade I actually went to an all-girls private catholic school and then 11th and 12th I couldn't deal with that anymore <laughs> 11th and 12th I went to a, um still a catholic school but it was a co-ed parochial school it was a little bit better so you broke out <laughs> I, bro I broke out <laughs> love it Love it. So a big age gap, but you're in charge. You're on top. You're the oldest. You had to have some, some, you must've been like the major domo calling the shots, right? With your siblings and, you know, kind of figuring it out or kind of like a surrogate mom or no, where you just like doing your own thing and just let them do their own thing. And everybody just like kind of rolled that way. <laughs> um, I can't remember. Like, I know that me and my next closest sister uh, played a lot when we were younger. And we were pretty close. Um, I feel like my brother and youngest sister, there was just, they were like a whole nother family, you know, like, cause they were so, there was such a gap. Um, I do know that when my littlest sister was born, uh, cause I think my mom had me when she was like, you know, young twenties. So people would be like, think that I was my sister's mom. It would piss my mom off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm the mom. <laughs> 
Yeah. I, I'm sure that had to happen occasionally, um, you know, when you're, when you're spread that far apart. But uh, big families are fun. You got a lot of other dynamics to negotiate. And it teaches you a lot of life skills, man, because you got to learn how to get along. You got to learn how to share clothes and, and equipment and gear for sports and bathrooms and just everything, man. It's just different. You know, when you're growing up, uh, you know, my son's an only child. I mean, I was one of three. So it's just it is different. Um, and what you talked about with the dinner, all the meals being together, that's exactly <laughs> how it was with my family. Um, and I miss that. Um, it didn't exist, um, you know, in my, my own new family, you know, being a dad with my son, because my ex and I are super, super close friends and we met through running and I coached her. Um, but we got divorced when he was pretty young. Um, although we do a ton of blended things together and raised him through his college years and did a lot of true, like, quote unquote, co-parenting, it's not the same thing when you're not in the same household. So you're not sitting down to a family dinner. And that's one of the reasons I like NYPD Blue, man. I love their dinner scenes, man, when they're all chilling and giving each other shit and, you know, about anything and everything, because that's, that's kind of what it's all about. And just being grateful for being together, right? Yeah, definitely. Cool. And now in your own life, now you're a mom of five, right? Yep. So you nobody, nobody ever knows that I have five kids. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, trust me, it's gotta surprise people because you know, you're fit, you're young, you're a runner, you're on the trails. You know, it's just one of those things. People are automatically gonna go, What? Five kids? What? You know, so it's it's a compliment and hopefully you take it that way. Um, and, yeah, totally. and receive it that way for sure. But, but that has got to keep you busy, man. Yeah. We had, uh, just like over the holidays, um, uh, my big kids were, were at my house and we're all sitting together around the table and I was just listening to their work drama stories and like, they all know the same people. And I just sat there like quiet, just like soaking it all in. And I was like, man, I really have some good humans. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how awesome is that? Um, because once they get to an age like that, you know, where you really take your hands fully off the wheel um, and you're 100% wanting them to be independent and make all their own decisions. And um, I talked about it with my mom recently. My mom's going to be 90. And I said, the greatest honor in the whole world is when my son like calls me or FaceTimes me or texts me and just said, hey, dad, I really want your opinion on something and actually lets me know that before we actually talk about whatever it is that he wants my opinion on because it's a beautiful thing, man. Like that is like the highest honor as a parent. You know, if your kids are, you know, they trust you and they want to know, what does mom think? You know, I need to, I need mom to weigh in on this for me. So that's got to be awesome. And they're how, what are, what's the age range for your group. Cause you know, with five, it could be, it could be pretty far apart, right? Yeah, no, not, it was, I, it's not like my fam, my, uh, growing up family at all. So my oldest, uh, my older two are girls than the younger three are boys. So I have 21 year old, uh, 17 year old, 15, 12 and nine. Oh, wow. I love it, man. So it's an easy order to follow. Um, and you got, and you know, so it's two girls at the top and three boys at the bottom, man. So you got, you got all kinds of stuff going on there. So what's, or is it like Switzerland? Are they neutral? How does, how does it all work when things are going on? Or if you guys are out doing an activity, let's say, you know, how do you all, how does it all work? Cause it's, it's a pretty good age range, you know, but they're, you know, it's not that far apart. No. Yeah. At this point, like the older three, 
kind of are off doing their own thing. They don't really think it's fun to hang out <laughs> with me very often. Um, occasionally, like in the fall, my daughter, my oldest, um, she stopped by and she said, Hey, you know, like I've been trying to hike every week and I was wondering if like you wanted to go for a hike. And so it was awesome. Like we went out, it, it had snowed. We went for like, just like three, four mile hike. And it was like such a great experience, but, um, the girls really help out so much. Like I could not do half the stuff I do without, like, I joke, my oldest is like the other, the other parent, <laughs> you know, like if I go away for a race, or for work or whatever, she's here. She stays here. She takes over, but it's hilarious because she'll be like, when are you coming home? This is just so much work. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. Isn't it? <laughs> I love it. So it's, it's a window into what motherhood will be like in the future. Right. You get a chance to see what it's really like behind the curtain, man, you know, and not just for a weekend or, you know, maybe like three days, right. Versus right. like real yeah. in real life, Forever. IRL, yeah. but yeah, but that's great that she's offering that. And it's super cool, you know, to get an invite as silly as it sounds, man, when we grow up and our kids grow up, you know, they're, they're married, they have boyfriends, they have girlfriends, they have their own lives and they're busy. And my son lives in Vermont. So like, we just don't, especially with COVID, it's something I can just go up there anytime I want and see him half the time the state's been locked down or hotels aren't allowing you to stay. And, you know, they have a one bedroom apartment, so there's not anywhere to go stay with them. And they don't live. It's not like San Francisco where you can just fly out in a major city and just see them whenever it's Vermont, it's the mountains, it's the middle of nowhere. You, yeah. You can't just like show up, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Well, it sounds like you got a nice tribe and you guys are all hanging together. Um, talk a little bit about, uh, sports in your youth as a kid, like what, what were you involved in? What were your favorite things, you know, athletically sports as a kid? And, uh, what were those experiences like? It's funny looking back and thinking back, um, to what I was like as a kid compared to now, because my mom tells stories about how like she'd try to get me to do soccer or try to get me to go to like gymnastics camp or try to get me to do and I never wanted to go do anything. And so that's so funny because now I'm like, oh, an activity, a sport, a new sport. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> but um, yeah, apparently when I was younger, I just was kind of like, I like to play in the woods a lot. I, I just have so many memories just alone in nature, catching frogs and fireflies and like just throwing rocks in a pond behind my house. Like I don't. I feel like that is what I consider a normal kid, but also like weird to some people. Like I didn't have like my girlfriends, you know, I had friends, but I was just like dirty and like trying to ride my bike with no hands and feet and falling over all the time. Um, so that part might align with where I'm at now. <laughs> That's hilarious. But, uh, but yeah, I don't, uh, so I don't, I didn't really get involved in too much until, um, yeah, like, like the, whatever one mile fitness run or whatever they call it, the presidential award, something or other in gym class. Uh, um, like I just, I beat everyone every year. I beat everyone, all the boys, like by a long shot. And I guess at some point, like somebody must've told my parents, or maybe my parents just realized I could like run around really fast. Or maybe they were like, this kid's got too much energy. We need to do something with her. 
But um, yeah, they put me in some uh, event called the Jesse Owens Games. And I have no recollection of where this was. I tried to ask my mom to see if like she could dig up a picture, but she couldn't find any. <laughs> um, but I was in second grade. And that was the first time like I ran in an organized event. And I believe I won my race. I, I don't know. Maybe they could have given everybody medals. I have no idea. But to this day, I can still remember the feel and the movement of the gravel beneath my sneakers. Like there's just this image stuck with me. And um, yeah, so like the takeaway that I, I had from that event was just like, I felt like a, a winner. I felt like a real runner. I was like, all right, this is my thing. But I had no idea, like little did they, did I know then, you know, a little like whatever eight-year-old where that was going to like take me to. And then, um, I really didn't do any other sports at all until high school. Cause my middle school didn't have any sports. So I guess it was ninth grade that I started, um, officially running on the cross country team <laughs> at my high school. Well, let's pause there for one sec because there's some really cool stuff in there. Um, so the outdoor nature, trail person, <laughs> rock skipping, <laughs> riding bikes, no hand. Man, girl, you were born for Climbing ultra. You were born yeah, exactly. for ultra and crashing and verts and uphills and downhills and crazy. You were just born for ultra. You just didn't know it yet. So it was like you were on the glide path. You were coming in just hadn't found your way. And that's beautiful. So I absolutely love that. And um I wish life was simpler like it was then, like it was for me when I was a kid. And we're, we have a big age gap between us. So there's a lot of years even between the two of us. But um, I think that's one of the greatest things that I had as a kid or that you had the chance to have as a kid is that you're able to just go out and fucking explore and just figure out what you liked and what you didn't like, whether that was alone or with a couple of kids that maybe weren't even in your school or in your class that you just saw at the park or on a trail or wherever, where you rode your bikes to all day, um, whatever the hell those activities were. You have to find out something about yourself, that you enjoyed that, that you like that. And, you know, fast forward to the future, and obviously it's like a huge part of who you are now. And then the really cool thing is the Jesse Owens thing, like certain things just leave that mark with us. And it's one thing to remember. You don't even remember whether you won or, or not. You think you won, but you remember the gravel beneath your feet. You remember what it felt like. You remember that feeling specifically, like those are powerful memories, man. That's a mark that stays with you for life. So it just shows you like that was in there. Like, and just, you need just that feeling, like it may not have felt the same on a rubberized track. It may not have felt the same running on some other service, but that cinder, that gravel running around, that feeling of being fast and feeling like a badass, like it left its mark on you. So that's like so awesome. So with all the other shit they're trying to get you into, soccer or whatever, <laughs> man, well, we don't want to do stuff where we might do it, but we're not going to really do it. We're not invested. We're not like into it. And, but it's also okay if we just try it, you know? And that's what I would always just the same way with my son, just try out for like the early soccer, T-ball, these different things. And you, and you can decide you don't want to do soccer anymore after one year or whatever, but it's important because this way we get a chance to experience what some of these teams are like, meet some other kids, you know, get to experience those things. So you got that 
opportunity and found out you were fast, got involved. So it's like ninth grade now, and now you're signed up for cross country. So take it, take the mic back over and, and tell us from there after your Jesse Owen stuff and now cross country high school. Um, so again, like some of these memories, um, are so f- long a- ago, well, feel so long ago. So I don't remember if it was like the first practice or what, but it was pretty early on. Like I, I, I want to say it was like one of the first practices and my dad, he worked near uh, the school I was going to. So he'd always pick me up from cross country after work. And the coach took him aside and just was like, do you know how fast your daughter can run? (laughs) And I, again, this is just a moment that is so stuck in my mind that changed a lot of things, you know, because had he not said that to my dad, I just would have kept going to cross country practice. Like, and I would just do whatever, but, um, that kind of spurred some other things into motion. And I started training with an Olympic coach. Uh, so my school was in Malvern, Pennsylvania, and he was in media. So it was like a little bit closer to Philly. Um, I don't remember his name. It's okay. It's okay. (laughs) But uh, I just, I I remember, and I recently wrote um, on an Instagram post about this memory because in training for the JFK, I had some things pop up that I had forgotten about, you know? And so I would go to the track in media after school or after cross-country practice, you know, it was was in addition to regular cross-country. But he would have me do 400 repeats. (laughs) on the track and um I could run pretty fast so like my claim to fame I'm going to jump around a little bit as I ran in the pin relays all four years of high school and my 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 400 time was only four seconds away from Olympic time now four seconds in a 400 is a lot of time (laughs) but I don't I always used to tell people that like oh my 400 time is only four seconds from Olympic time (laughs) but um So he'd have me run my 400s on the track and then I would jog a a resting lap, right? Get back. I had to beat that previous 400 time or I had to keep going until I did. And I just remember, so the memory that popped up is, is on that, that resting lap, I was feeling anger and frustration, right? Like it was like fueling this fire that it was like, why is he doing this to me? You know, but I would get it. And so that was like, it's like another like foreshadowing moment where it's like, I had this like uncomfortable feeling that I, I personally, because I like to fight through things. Um, I had to use that to beat that 400 time, you know, and, and, and he would, he seemed so mean. Right. And then when I did it, awesome work, you know, so yeah. it's like, <laughs> I know it was coaching, but like, as a little kid, I'm just like, why does this man hate me? <laughs> I love, I love the story. Cause there's, there's so much more to it. Um, so how your high school age at this point, right? So you're, yeah, um, nine, ten. I think, you know, as kids and everyone is so different with how we react to coaches, whether they're the firm taskmaster style or the super encouraging, soft, 
um, smooth type, although there weren't too many of them around back in the old days. I can assure <laughs> no. you of that. There was a lot more like, get the fuck over here and you're late and you're going to go run a hundred laps. And, um, but I think, you know, maybe, and again, I don't know this, but I'll throw it out to you. Maybe because you didn't really understand the interval lap, you know, the recovery lap before you were going to get ready to go hard again. Just maybe you just needed to understand what that was like before you were going to get ready to go hard again. And like, like, I think sometimes when we don't know something, we can actually still do amazing at it. Like we could blow the coach's mind, your mom and dad's mind, even your own mind. But sometimes understanding like what the premise of it is, is as important as not that you're just going to have to keep running harder and keep trying to cut down and run faster each 400. But like, this is going to, this is the time where you just kind of get your breath and recover, go as easy as possible, and then get ready to go. So you right. use, but I'm saying you use that as fuel, whatever, anxiety, emotion, a little bit of anger, the dark side. I, I'm a big fan of the dark side, man. I love to channel my dark side. I'm like, I, I'll make up pretend haters if I need to, when I'm trying to do something hard, I'll be like, all right, these motherfuckers think I can't do this shit. Okay. I'm too old. What? You think you could beat me in a race? Let's go. Um, but that's awesome. So you, and then when you did do what you guys were trying to set out to do in a workout, let's say. He was hugely supportive, right? Oh yeah, totally. So awesome. And uh, and you're finding out a lot about yourself. I mean, you know, as kids, we don't know what the hell we're going to be good at, you know, and these are random things. I mean, it's different. You know, if you play basketball all the time, you play baseball all the time, it's not a surprise. You're playing that sport all the time from when you're six years old or soccer, you know, you're, you know, you're good. You know, you're the, one of the better kids in the team. You're scoring the goals. You're hitting home runs. You're the best pitcher. You're, you're making all the baskets, you know, whatever the sport is field hockey. I don't care what it is. You just know running's different or swimming or something like that. Cause they're time-based things, you know? And like, you don't know until you start getting in the pool and swimming laps against other kids and freestyle or backstroke or whatever it might be, the butterfly and running the same thing, 400 meters, 800 meters, a mile, two mile cross country. You have no idea. No kid does, you know, they tell you to run, you run, you know, <laughs> and you take off. So right. what a cool, that's a cool story. And just a little bit for self-exploration for you, because you, you know, to understand it better now, you know, it's one of those things that'll help you. Um, the same way, like you're training for JFK and these memories are coming back to you. It's not a surprise because these are awesome memories. Your memory of the cinder track and the Jesse Owens thing and finding out you're fast and having a, an Olympic coach, like these are cool things, but they're popping into your mind as you're becoming the runner you're meant to be like, you're on your journey. You're like just getting started if you really think about it. Right. Yeah. I forget that aspect a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's okay. I mean, that's why you got to have an old guy invite you onto a po podcast and he can give you some <laughs> old guy perspective and hopefully a little bit of wisdom. But, um, and from there you had a terrific like high school running experiences, right? You got a chance to run and pen relays and do some, some really awesome stuff with that. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I was on a four by four team and, uh, we did really well. I, I think the, the first year, I mean, I was only in ninth grade. So walking into that humongous stadium, you know, I was like, Oh my God, like you have to stand in the corral and wait for your, your heat. It was, it definitely was like a little like intimidating, like, Oh my gosh, what am I doing here? You know, people from other countries, 
It was crazy. Yeah. Sorry about my dog. She's uh, okay. somebody's in the hallway or doing something I'm not supposed to do. What a what a cool experience. I mean, pen relays. It doesn't get any bigger than that. And you're a freshman and you got runners from all over. Um, obviously, you know, growing up in where you are in Pennsylvania, you know, if you're in like Maine, Philly, you know, like Philadelphia proper, those schools are probably all competing at the highest level. You're used to each of these kids. You know, the girls that were the fastest and the boys and, you know, you're showing up from, you know, kind of out in the middle of suburbia. You're in ninth grade and here you are, you're at Penn Relays, man. This is totally awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the first time that like running, um, I mean, I had watched the Olympics, you know, that, that was like always, we weren't big TV watchers when, um, I was little, but we watched the Olympics. <laughs> um, but just looking at the other athletes and just being like, again, why am I here? You know, they, they're like chiseled. Right. Yeah. And I'm just like this little scrawny white girl. <laughs> yeah. What am I doing here? <laughs> I'm like, okay. Deep breath, deep breath. Yeah. Just run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's like a tagline, man. It's like a commercial. It's it's a, it's a tagline for a post. Just run. It's true, right? Yeah. I mean, totally. when we overthink things in life, we always get ourselves in trouble, man. But when you're a kid and you're skipping rocks out in the pond, or you know, you're gonna try to ride <laughs> your bike, you're riding your bike with no hands on. Like you're not worried about getting your teeth knocked out. I mean, I talk about this stuff all the time. We're kids, man. We're fearless, man. We're just. It doesn't mean we're not going to get hurt, man. We, we ride our sleighs down these hills that there's no hope of stopping. And we're going to fucking crash and break nine body parts. And we just go and do it. And somehow we don't kill ourselves. You know, we're like, hey, man, let's fun. Let's do it again. So let's show up at Penn Relays. And okay, I'm in this race. All right. I guess I better like throw down here, man. So what was, what was the first one like? What, uh, what event, you know, was it for, you ran the 400, right? Or four by 400? Yeah, we we had a um a pretty good four by four hundred meter team. I think I was the third leg. I know there was an athlete, Angie Brown. Um, I tried to look her up because she was Olympic material, but she was always the fourth leg. I think my leg, my purpose was to regain and and set her up yes whatever that second person had left me so and i was good at that because um you know the story i shared with you about the indoor track experience like i don't remember a lot about the indoor track other than it was always in philly or outside the outskirts of philly and there was just like some really really tough you know, again, I'm like this little scrawny white girl from the suburbs <laughs> and, and I was, you know, just very dark. Um, and yeah, so one race, uh, we, you know, more spikes, indoor track speed fast. And, um, this girl coming up around the 200 mark right around that last turn just spikes me. I mean, how do you even do that? And I didn't, I didn't know to expect that. I didn't even know that people would do something like that. Right. This is ninth grade, 10th grade. Like, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, she, my whole leg, I fell down. My legs bleeding everywhere. Blood's dripping down my leg. And my dad just loves to tell the story about how he's watching me. And he's like, Oh my God, I get up and I'm just like, fine. 
whiz past her and beat her. <laughs> but, but I just have that that drive in me, which which I have to tone back sometimes in like longer races and ultras. Like that was a big learning thing this year. I did um a 25k with you know I think it was 7,000 feet of vert, but the first beginning part up into the trail, which was single track, very steep. So you're like stuck in this long line, all these people are going. And I'm like, I'm running my race. It was the first time I was same thing with the JFK, same thing. Like, it's like for JFK, I was like 11 minute miles. I could go faster. Everybody. No, I'm running my race. I had to like really tone back that, like drive to just reel people in, you know? Yeah. But that's a that's a great lesson. Um, getting spiked is unfortunately a part of track and cross country, man. I mean, if you watch you watch the Olympics, you watch the heats. People get trampled. Yeah, yeah, it just and it's also almost all the time it's back kicks. You know, it's like you know when you're close together and you don't realize just how close you are because when we're running in races like that, we don't. You know, the only thing we're looking at is where's our little window? Like, can we slide this way or that way? And we're not realizing that someone is that close to like smashing our ankle or you know, landing right on our foot. We just don't know. It's, it's almost amazing that we're not falling down way more or, or in single track, like at JFK that we're not literally, I mean, we saw a lot of people get taken out of there this year. And let me tell you something, man, that shook, it shook me up because I had a hard fall the year before. And I just, you know, I had come off running three marathons in 35 days. And I was just like, no, just, just like you said, I can't, get caught up in any of that. I got to make sure I stay upright this year. I'm tough. I don't need to prove how tough I am that I can handle a hard fall and bleeding and all. And so I was way slower, you know, coming out of there. And I knew I wasn't going to be anywhere near the time I'd run the year before, but I enjoyed it and got every bit as much joy and amazing good feelings about it. I mean, good for you in a single track race where you get in one of those lines because every temptation in the world is there to just say, oh, fuck this. I'm not staying in the back of this line. I'm just going to go around. I'm going to like cut my way through these people. And you just blow like so much energy. And then if it is a race with 25K avert, that's crazy to start with or whatever you said it was. It was a lot. I think it was like 8,000. But eight in a 25K is crazy. I mean, I yeah, run 50 yeah. mile races that have 10 and that's a lot even in a 50 mile race. I mean, so to have that, to have eight in a 25 K is a lot. Um, yeah. So, so cool. So you had some serious high school speed, you know, running fast track meets the energy, all that cool experience. And then you get ready to go off to college. Cause obviously people are going to want you, you're going to get recruited. So talk about that. Cause that's an interesting experience for you with running at this point of your life. So, you know, all through high school, uh, it wasn't ever to me. Um, if I was going to medal, it was just gold, silver, or bronze. And, uh, I think, I don't want to say I took that like for granted, but it was just how it was. Right. And then, um, yeah, I started getting offers for running in college and I knew the coach, um, who coached the team at Westchester university and I got a scholarship and I turned it down. (laughs) Oh man. Um, I, 
was very into art. I was an artist. I loved art. I didn't really want to go to college, but at that point in time, that's just what you did, right? There wasn't this new thought that there's a million other avenues that you can go that you don't need a degree. Um, so I just went and I just thought like, okay, well, I don't know if getting up at five in the morning, every day or four o'clock to run 10 miles, <laughs> I don't know if I could do that and do college. And, you know, in hindsight, yes, of course you can, but, um, yeah, I turned it down and, and I, I kind of, I wonder about that a lot, but, um, a friend of mine pointed out, you know, had I taken that scholarship, maybe I would have wound up, you know, breaking my body or, or not enjoying it anymore. Like I have such great memories of my running experience in high school and everything that I did accomplish that I don't, you know, I don't know, maybe, you know, I try not I do think about it, but I, do, I try not to think of it as like a bad choice. It was just the choice I made. And I think that, you know, I made it for whatever reason I did then. And I'm happy that I refound running at this point in my life. Yeah. I mean, look, we, there's no, we don't know when we look back on our lives, you know, I think there's a TV show. I don't even know if it survived or it got canceled, but I, I still have to find it. It, it was a show where, cause we all have these moments, like, should I have married this person or should I have gone to medical school? Or, and that's what it explores. Like this woman was going to go to law school or medical school, or she was going to marry this guy or that guy. And it just takes you through if, if you turn left or right and left and right. Mm-hmm. There's no person in, there's no person in life. that doesn't look back and say, Oh, wow. I, wonder if I did this or that. Um, again, from my own perspective and experience, um, you know, as hard driving as you are and as competitive as you are and, you know, wanting to like mix it up and be at the top and be a battler, you know, you could have fried yourself, you could have burnt yourself out. You could have gotten injured and maybe not. Maybe you would have had a great coach. Maybe you would have connected with the coach. Maybe you would have like fallen in love with running in a whole other level, but it doesn't matter. I mean, no, it just, it, it happened, you know? So you're into art. You've got other pieces out of your college experience that hopefully served you well. And whether you should have gone to college or not, it doesn't matter. It's like me or anyone else. We went, we did it. We got our own experiences out of it. There's a lot of great we draw from it. Some that's not so great and some that maybe even sucks, but it's just a part of our lives. It's in my case, like a zillion years ago, and in your case, not nearly that many years ago, but you come out of it. And then when we have a break from something that we have such a deep connection with and we come back to it, it's a very different experience because- you know, when you talk about running in that level and you remember the cinder track underneath your feet, <laughs> like, I mean, that's just like, that's a deep and a soulful connection. And we don't find those things very often in life for whatever it is that we do in our lives, whether it's our profession, um, if we're a writer, a poet, a photographer, and I think you are a photographer, um, but I'm just saying whatever the hell it is we do in our business lives or in our work lives, and maybe it isn't even a separation because it's so much a part of who we are as a person, you know, and then sports or one sport maybe, um, we have that kind of connection with something and we take a break from it and come back to it. It's so much more powerful and it means so much more to us. So when you did come back, to running, like talk about like what brought you back. 
because I know, but I mean, talk about that and what led you back and, you know, what it's been like, you know, kind of since you've come back to running. So it was like a surprise. Um, I have only been running uh, for a year and a half, (laughs) which always surprises people. Well, how did you do all these things in a year? But that's just how I roll. Um, but when the, the, the night that everything shut down, you know, the big, the start of the pandemic, I think it was March 12th because it was a day before my kid's birthday. Um, you know, everything's going to be closed down. All stores are closed starting tomorrow. I didn't run out and get toilet paper. I didn't run out and get food. (laughs) I said, okay, you know, I've been doing CrossFit for, for six years. The gyms are closing. I'm not going to be able to do anything. I went to the running shoes store and I got a pair of running shoes. That's the only thing I bought that night <laughs> was running shoes. And uh, I said, all right, well, starting tomorrow, I guess I'm going to run. And uh, at the time, my now 15-year-old uh, was running cross country and he and doing CrossFit with me. So he just uh, really needed something to do too and not sit in the house. And so I said, all right, well, let's go run. And he's like, all right, let's run three miles. Let's just make it five. You know, so this is like the first week. And then we ran like five miles, we ran eight miles. And then he goes, let's just run a half marathon. And I was like, all right, (laughs) I guess we can do that. (laughs) And so we did. And I mean, I remember how my quads felt when I finished, well, no, actually one mile to go because I hadn't run in 20 years or something. Yep. And, uh, I was like, hell no, I didn't make it to 12 miles to quit here. And I said, I don't care how this feels. I'm finishing this. And, um, you know, he finished it in like an hour 50 or something. Um, but I finished in like two ten, and, 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 I think because of some of the things that I've experienced in life, a lot of times I don't, I don't realize what I've done or processed or achieved until a few days later, sometimes weeks, but, um, who does that? Who just goes out their door, runs a half marathon for no reason after. And and so I just like, that's when it really hit me. Like if I could just do that, like there's something freakishly weird about me. <laughs> I have some secret power. So it's like, I think I still, I think I, if I put time into this and some effort, like, I think I could probably, I'm, I think I could probably still be good. You know? That's a great story. And looking <laughs> back, besides the sneakers, you probably should have grabbed some TP as well. Probably. Little, if I you, did run out at some point. We all fucking did. <laughs> trust me. Um, and let me tell you something. No one ever thought that could be a stressor in life until all of a sudden we're like living in the caveman times. And I don't live <laughs> in the woods either. So it's not like I can just go off on the trail and, you know, disappear. Um, but that is an absolutely great story. Um, and it's so cool. And you made that choice. So you're doing CrossFit for like six years, which is like a lifestyle in itself. I mean, it's a super way of staying fit and strong. And, you know, so your body was obviously you were strong and fit and in shape, but running is wildly different. As you know, um, distance running couldn't be any more different because, you know, CrossFit, I always see the people coming out of the gyms and they're like running around the park as fast as they can, you know, like doing short real bursts. And then, you know, they're going back parking lot exactly, or across the street from the gym. Then they're back in there and they're hitting whatever the next phase of her thing is. And it's awesome. Um, but 
it's also cool because you're looped in it with your son. So, and three miles becomes five and five becomes half and, you know, boom, you know, the gauntlet is thrown down, you know, mom has to step up and, you know, he's cross country. So, you know, he's fit, but that's, uh, that's so cool. So it brings you back after like, I don't know, you said 20 years, maybe it wasn't 20 years, however long it was, that's a long time to be away from something you have a deep connection with. And did you feel, I'm talking about like in the first run, I'm not talking about the half marathon. I'm talking about like the first run, the second run. What did it feel like when you were back out there, laced up, out there on the trail, running in the middle of this pandemic shit? What did it feel like for you? Well, I know when when I laced up my shoes for the first time, and I think just uh, just that movement, um, it felt like the return of like an old friend. It was like, oh, there you are. I mean, that's that's it. That is what it is, right? I mean, you never forget, you know, a feeling that you have that kind of connection with. Um, and it, the last thing you're concerned about is how fast you're going or any, it has nothing to do with that. You're breathing, man. And it's this act of, you know, it's like, it's therapy, it's meditation, it's relaxation, it's breathing movement. It's all the above. And, you know, you got back to something that had a, you know, a, a deep hold on you that you were gone from for a long time. And it doesn't take long, man. It could be like one run and you're just like, yeah. I'm yeah, back. Yeah. I'm running again. Yeah, I'm a totally. runner. I got this. And now you got a son who's running cross country. So that's a cool experience, you know, that you guys are um, doing some stuff together. Did you do other races or was that just kind of, you know, the only one? Um. Well, that was just like dabbling in it. Then the summer came and we actually went cross country for the summer, me and my, my boys. So we did, I just, didn't really, I had these grand intentions of like running the whole time. And then I was like, not dedicated at that point yet was still just dabbling in it. So I was like, ah, when we get back. And then I think the real training started in August, got back and I started running, you know, well, started running too much (laughs) because I didn't know what I was doing. So I basically almost ran every other, every day. Um, which some people seem to be able to do, but I'm not, I'm not, maybe not one of them. I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, I just jumped right into races. Anything that came my way that I thought was fun. I was like, sign me up. Yeah. (laughs) Let's go. And, um, yeah, I, I came in like third in my, no, I think third, third in my age group for the Scranton half marathon. Um, I came in. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know the specifics, but I was placing in the top three to five in my age group and everything I signed up to do. And I was like, you know, people were starting to notice, like, who who are you? Where'd you come from? And I'm like, oh, no, I just started running a couple months ago. And then I feel like an asshole because they're like, maybe you need to start running two months ago. But uh, yeah, so then... um, I, I can't remember how far into that. I had some piriformis issues. I think that November after I did that long trail half marathon, the Tiadatin. And that was probably, that was definitely, um, a big puzzle piece, um, to my journey because that was like the first trail that one had some obscene amount of vert. (laughs) 
And, you know, I also learned how, like, sometimes you're not running the whole trail race. Like you are walking up these steep mountains and, um, I didn't know that was even a thing, you know? So I kind of just, I kind of, I signed up for the Tiodatin and I got some friends to do it too. Like, what did you sign us up for? The pain. Come on. It'll be fun. The water's warm. Jump in. It's okay. We're going straight. We're going going straight up a fucking cliff. This doesn't look like fun at all. I can't breathe. And I fell down eight times and I'm I'm like going to get carried off the mountain. But yeah, it's really fun. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks. Good thing you placed. Thanks, former friend. Um, I won't be coming on any more of these freaking journeys anymore. Um, They're like, how far do we have to drive to get there? I don't know. I think it's like three hours. Yeah. Yeah. And like no biggie at all. So you brought up a couple of points in there that are important. First, a lot of the people who are listening to my show are more marathon oriented and some less, not as far, maybe halves and they're on their way up and they're building. And I'm constantly pushing ultra as a great alternative and trail running to get off the roads to be kinder to your body, to experience nature and get outside and opt outside and all of those wonderful hashtags. Like today, you know, I ran 14 the night before and I wasn't really going to run much today. And if I was, you know, it was going to be just a true recovery run. When I saw how much snow we got immediately, I was like, I'm going to Central Park and I am going out there with my Hoka speed goats on and I'm going to be a kid and have the best time. And I saw kids sleigh riding and people cross country skiing and Anytime somebody looked like they wanted a picture, I just stopped and said, here, I'll take a quick shot for you guys. Do you want us to take your picture? I'm like, okay, you can take my picture. Um, But any chance to have fun. But what you talked about in the trail is really important because I didn't even know it either Um, because I was not a trail runner and I wasn't an ultra runner. I've always been more of a, uh, you know, marathon focused. Um, It was a hard lesson for me to learn. Like, no, you don't run every section of these fucking courses. It's not a good idea. Like, it's a terrible idea. And JFK, it's like that first stupid hill before you get to the 18, that thing's like straight up. Like, I mean, sure, it's not like you can't run it, but it's probably not the worst idea if some of the steeper sections, if you walked some of that, because you're barely even awake, it's freezing cold in the morning and, you know, you're going to have plenty of time to run, you know, when you get to the, you know, you get to the flat section, you got a full marathon on the gravel for Christ's sakes. And then you got eight and a half miles on the road. But, um, that was a good lesson for you to learn because you got to use your energy an ultra differently than anything. And it doesn't matter if it's a hundred mile race, a 50 mile race. It could be a 25 K race. Like you talked about, if the vert is that extreme and the technical aspect of it is that challenging, you got to be safe. Um, because some of these races, man, you could be like broken in pieces, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, pick. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean my approach going into it because it was so new um, brought me back to my childhood thoughts. Like, like I love to go out there and play like, yes, I'm running, but like, I'm just having fun. You know, I'm just enjoying it. I'm looking at the deer. I'm looking at the birds. I'm listening to the sound of the leaves, the way my feet hit the crunchy leaves on the ground or the snow. Um, it's just all play. And that's like, uh, thing I've kind of fought over this year of, um, 
that hang up in being that gold, silver, bronze versus enjoying what I'm doing. Like that was my biggest lesson this year. I, now, did you figure that out completely on your own? Was somebody else talking with you about it? I'm just curious myself because it is it is such a powerful lesson to learn, um, especially at this point where you're literally just back to running. I mean, it's it's been a really short period of time where you're back running. And this isn't just running. This is ultra running. This is <laughs> distance running. This is a lot of vert. This is so fundamentally different than the kind of running you did before. And, you know, your body, it needs time to adjust to these things, to learn how to run the technical aspects and how to be able to climb and breathe and, and just all, and handle the pounding, you know, all of it. So how did you get there on your own? And if you did, God bless, man, it's awesome. <laughs> I think a little bit. Um, my coach is Ben Robinson. Um, and when I hi um, hired him in January and started working with him right away, you know, we exchanged some like questionnaire type things. And, um, you know, I gave him my history, where I've been, where I jumped into in 2020, what my goals were. And, you know, one of the, well, how long are you thinking the rest of my life? You know, like, this is just my happy place. This is just, I want to be able to enjoy this for, for as long as I can. And so he, okay. I think like you have a really great, um, potential long-term and, um, you know, it takes time to build, which I forget sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, one of the big things he said is that he's two main goals. It's not to, well, I won't say what it's not to be healthy and happy. As long as I'm healthy and happy with what I'm doing, everything's going as planned. You know, um, I think that this year, um, I had, I had a lot of hurdles. Um, I, before I started working with Ben, I really jumped into high mileage way too fast, which, um, wound up with me with, um, a fractured foot that I didn't know was fractured for like <laughs> a month or two. And I kept running on <laughs> Because I I didn't know it was fractured, and apparently I don't feel pain. Because <laughs> we runners are crazy, and we do stuff. We do stuff like that. We convince ourselves it's not broken. It's just a sore, oh and well, I could foam roll this maybe or something else. Oh and, God, yeah. Um, I was like, I think I just need a massage. Yeah. No, my foot is broken. Yeah, your foot's broken, and you're running, and you're running on it, and you know, like you're you're not the first, and you won't be the last. But when we love something, we don't want to we don't want to stop doing it. And your mileage, I'm sure, because I know more of your story. I know more of the pieces that we didn't get to yet. Uh, uh, yes, you you did throw a lot of mileage in and you had been away from the sport a long time. You probably would have handled that piece okay. You had nutritional issues, you know, that were underlying there as well. And, you know, just because Inside Tracker, I'm very involved with that brand and the yeah, deep dive gloves and the biomarkers and, um, yep. you know, they don't sponsor my show. And I always say that because I don't want people thinking like I'm involved with them. And yes, I have a discount code for tests and everything. And I put it out there on Instagram all the time. But, you know, they're not sponsoring my show. So I'm not like paid to say Inside. No, look, Inside Tracker, man, if they can help Shalene Flanagan plan how to run six marathons in six weeks and they're checking this stuff and making adjustments. I mean, it wasn't just six and six weeks. 
Boston and Chicago were one day apart. So it was like a Sunday and a Monday. So like, that's how critical this information is. It's totally telling us what's going on. And, and you don't know this about me, but I have celiac disease. So for me, you have a vitamin D issue. Okay, which can absolutely lead to stress fractures, can lead to potentially osteoporosis. I have B12 issues. Like every runner is going to have certain things, and it could be because of their diet. It could be because they need supplements. They may need to change how they're eating, right? And it may not be. It may be just that they are eating fine, but they need to add supplementation, or maybe they have underlying things like that are causing their body not to assimilate and break things down properly, which is one of the things celiac will do. So you didn't know at the time that you were having an issue. Um, so it may have been your mileage, you know, it very well may have been, maybe you were just throwing on a little too much too soon, which is a very common thing for any of us who love something so much, but you know, like there's really no way to know that could have been, I could have played as big a part in it as the amount of mileage you were doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, kind of like the same time. Um, well, the first thing the, the bone doctor said, he's like, you don't need enough. I can tell you that right now. And I'm like, what? but I do, I actually track my macros because I know that I don't eat enough. If I just eat intuitively, like I need to make sure I eat enough calories. <laughs> That's just something I struggle with. But, um, yeah, in figuring all that out, I just did blood work and, um, yeah, vitamin D deficient, like to a medically low enough, um, level and, uh, what else was there? You weren't getting enough protein. I think yeah, too. Yeah, protein. That, I think that was like the second piece of it, but I mean, yeah. those two together can have even more, you know, more of an impact. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And if also, if you felt like you weren't eating enough, or if you think if you're going, sometimes people eat too much automatically, some people eat not enough. So like, there's no, there's no right or wrong way, but if you then have to measure it or pay closer attention to it, um, then hopefully that's going to help you. And if you get, if you're getting regular work done with like inside tracker, maybe a couple of times a year, that's going to help you so much. Cause you're going to see if you're making some dietary changes and what I love about their stuff is if it's telling me I have to eat more spinach or I have to get more magnesium, but it's not just saying take 1000, I use it. It's giving you five ways that you can get there, um, which to me is helpful because um, I don't have a, I don't have a nutrition degree. I don't have a diet, a dietetics degree. I don't know. I mean, I know a good amount about food because of my celiac, but I don't know anywhere near as much as somebody who went to school for it. Right. So yeah, um, totally good stuff. So you're on a good, you're in a good place with that now. Um, have you like retooled like the kinds of food you're eating or is it just more supplementation? Like, what are you, what are you changing to try to get that stuff sorted? Kind of a little bit of both. Like one of the things that inside tracker, like suggested for me to eat was more oatmeal. And I was like, okay, because I, I'm not really like a breakfast person, but it's really funny because now I'm like hooked on oatmeal. <laughs> <laughs> but um, oatmeal probiotics, yeah, there was like a slew of things. Something to do with my iron was actually like it might have been too high. I don't remember. Yeah. There was, you know, there was just some weird things that popped up that I was like, hm, never would have guessed that, yeah. <laughs> you know. So yeah, I'm trying to do that. Um, I do supplement with vitamin D because I don't know how else to do that. Um, and just really making sure I eat enough protein. 
And yeah, so that's like the dietary part of it. It was definitely like I had to take um, March, April, and I think I just, maybe it was April. I don't know. It was like March through May, mid-May. I think I got the final go ahead from the bone doctor, like early June to start running again, which really put like a cramp on things. Like I had to pull myself out of three races that I paid for, you know? So that was like a big stab. Could you defer them or that wasn't an option? Oh, that's a bummer. No, yeah. Right. And then, uh, I feel like my coach had, um, a very intricate job to do. It was like to build my mileage to get me ready for JFK, but in a safe way coming off of a stress fracture. Sure. So, but we did it, you know? Yeah. And that was, and that was your first ultra. So Mm -hmm. it's cool because you're running trail, you're doing a lot of vert, you're doing different distances on trail. And a lot of people tend to just, they go the other way. They're just like, I'm going to do an ultra. And you know, in fairness, a lot of people are doing their first ultras of 50K, which is a couple of miles more than a marathon. It isn't a big stretch, if you will. Um, but in your case, you know, you jump right into the deep end, you know, you're going right to 50. Um, and it's not a course that suits you in terms of like your own style of running. I mean, you're strong on vert. You like that. Most people don't. So that's awesome. Um, but if you're, it's all what we're used to and what we like and, and how our bodies adapt, right? So if that's what you're training on and you're feeling comfortable on and then you get stronger at it, what happens is our brain is like, I'm good on hills. I can grind people on the hills. Let's go vert. I got you. I'm going to take you to school, on the climbs, on the hills, okay? But if we're not good at technical, if we're not good at vert, we're like, oh no, I'm gonna get killed in this race. So that's the problem that ultra brings to us that regular marathoning, regular distance running, that not necessarily doesn't really bring you. Sure, courses have hills. They have vertical up and down. Some are faster, some are slower. It also depends on what time of the year the races are. Is it really going to be hot? Is it going to be cold? Is it going to be windy? Like those things are going to affect. You're not going to see the fastest marathon time ever in New York City. The course is harder. Like all these things come into play, but the ultra courses vary so much. Um, And for you, I still think it's a great first race to get under your belt. It's so incredibly well-organized. It's such a great team of people. Um, they're just amazing people. And they welcome every single person. It's like, they give you hugs. They give you love. They bring you in. They're like, come on, you're part of the JFK family now. And you are. Um, so talk about, you know, so you you had that block off three plus months, maybe almost four months of your training. So you build back. You're being patient and you arrive for JFK, your expectations are literally just finished, right? That's it. It can't be anything more than that because anything else would be kind of crazy, right? <laughs> Do you want the truth? <laughs> yeah, of course I want the truth, man. Oh my God. I don't, I don't even, I, I don't even know. Yeah. I had some like crazy goals and then, um, I think they would be attainable in parts but to put them all together, yes. Like my my real goal without the mind games was to just finish it. But like then my brain's like, oh, but on this kind of vert, I could totally do this. On a flat canal path, I could totally do this. <laughs> and um, I think what I learned the most um, 
in that race or, or that length of race is that, um, our, as our bodies fatigue, our brains kind of go haywire. So I didn't, I had seen it in people. Um, cause I actually volunteered at the Moab 240 this year. So like I was helping the runners who were like delusional. So I've seen it, but I didn't know. I, I, I guess it's just one of those things until you go through it, you are not going to understand it. So right around the bridge on the canal path, uh, a little bit after that. So I get, it was like mile 37. Um, my brain just kind of got into a funk and I was in physical pain, but my personal strength is I could be in any amount of physical pain. And I'm like, we got this, we're going to go. Like I'm just very mentally positive and my brain got in a funk and I couldn't pull myself out of the, so, so then I'm like, I felt sorry for myself. Okay. So I, and this was a very weird, weird thing for me because that's just not me. Yeah. So, you know, I've been through a lot and I I don't feel sorry for myself or for anyone. It's like, you do what you got to do. So I could not shake that feeling. And it got to the point where my something, my brain, uh, some other part of my brain was like, Lisa, you got to let yourself feel this. You've never allowed yourself to feel sorry for yourself. And then it kind of got even worse because I was like acknowledging it and sitting in it and, and like, you know, there was runners. You okay? You doing all right? (laughs) I wanted to be like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Don't talk to me, bitch. (laughs) I'm like, who am I? Yeah. (laughs) You know? So, um, yeah. So I, I struggled in that until about mile 47. And then the other blow came because I was like, I'm not going to wear the orange penny or the yellow penny. I'm nope. not going to wear the row penny. Nobody wants to wear that thing, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to that aid station by three o'clock. Well, I got there at 310 and I had to wear the penny. <laughs> so I was like, and I only missed it by 10 minutes, but thank God I did get it because I was struggling. Yeah. I was not going to hit those last eight miles and be like finished by dark, by dusk. And I was out there well past the sunset, you know? So, um, yeah, but I, with two miles to go, I magically had some kick of power come in and I'm like running like nine minute miles to the finish. You came back to, you came back to life. It happens. What What happened? It happens. It happens. There, I mean, there's so much in there. Um, that's just so awesome. So thanks for sharing that wonderful. Like you could not have explained that more beautifully. Like it's just, I try to explain to my son because we're huge Lord of the Rings fans. And, you know, he's went to us Oxford for a year and we actually drank in the bars where Tolkien and, and C.S. <laughs> Lewis used to hang out and read each other's manuscripts. So like, um, like I can't even tell you how many times we watched all of those movies or read those books. And I just felt like the black riders were going to come and get me. They're going to come and scoop me right up off that fucking towpath. They're coming to get me. The Nazgul are coming. 
the Black Riders come. Somebody's coming, but somebody better get me out of here, man, because it is. There's something crazy about going that long a stretch where you're you're kind of really looking. Although it changes, it doesn't change very much. It's really it's a narrow window. There's trees. There's the river to your left. Like sure, you go up mild ups and downs, but they're so mild. It's not enough to change anything. You're using the same muscles in your hips, your legs. Everything is just getting ground like chopped meat because you're not using different muscle groups. You know, you're not going up hills. You're not coming down hills. You're not really using different muscles to kind of power through it. And it just, it can literally just like hit you over the head. Um, so it's, it happened. And it's such a learning experience to have it happen to you because again, you're good on the technical, you're good on the vertical, you're good on all that. But even knowing all that, so are those pro athletes that fell down and got taken off on a stretcher. It's just a tough time of the year. There's a lot of leaves on the AT. There's nothing you can, I don't care how adept you are at cutting and being nimble and agile and all that. Look, man, if you plant your foot on some of those stones you look at them they the look like, that were like yes this? they're like from the indian tribe days like literally like you shoot and kill i'm like if you step on one of those fuckers at the wrong time you You're are out. going to get yeah. hurt okay I know. and i'm not trying to scare anybody away that is literally my favorite race i just love everything about jfk i love everything about that weekend and the experience but it's just it's hard because that's your strength would be that section and you know maybe if it was a little later in the year earlier where the leaves necessarily weren't there and we'd have a little better visual. And again, we don't live there, right? So the people who live there, that's kind of their advantage that they're there all the time. But even being there all the time, it only takes one rock or one tree root to be in that spot where you think is safe to plant. And if you plant with conviction and you hit, you know, it could be a broken ankle or whatever. So you really can't go balls to the wall there, which might be your strength. And then you have literally, you know, 35 or 34 and a half miles to go after that. So it is different. And now that you've experienced it, you would train for that. But also there's no experience like going through that, feeling sorry for yourself. This is fucked up. I'm out of here. You were at the Mob 240. I know people who ran that race who were just like, I'm just like, holy shit. You did a 240 mile race. Like, I can't even talk to you. I'm not even capable of talking to you. I'm not allowed to talk to you because you get a different level of respect and deserve a different level of respect. But you learned something about yourself out there. That's what these races are for, man. Because when we have our, not our best day or our best day or whatever we are on this sliding scale of however we're going to grade it or rate it, like that's what we have to do. We got to take it apart and be like, okay, when that happens to you the next time, you're going to be like, fuck off, bitch. I'm not feeling sorry for myself today. And I'm not going to let that <laughs> jackass go by me who asked me if I'm okay. Yeah. I'm going to be like, that shit is not okay. You are not going by me. And for the people listening at home that haven't run JFK, man, it's like crazy because you're running like 30 some odd miles shoulder to shoulder with people on this road. <laughs> It's just like so narrow. So if you're not going faster than that group, you're kind of there. Like other than maybe if they stop longer than you at an aid station or you stop longer than them, you kind of end up yo-yoing with a lot of the same people. And again, I love everyone I met along the way. And we met and I met so many other people 
And it's just an amazing experience. But you got through the lowest low. You got through feeling sorry for yourself, which you've never done before. This is what we do. Like, that's why I want to run a 100-mile race. Because I know that there is at least a 60 to 70% chance that I'm not going to finish. And people say, oh, you're full of shit. No, I know what it takes to finish a 100-mile race. You know what it takes. You haven't done one, but you know what it takes, okay? This is not some game like you're trying to convince people, oh, I can do it. No, it is going to be multiple moments where you're going to go, I'm out of here. I'm not doing this. So your crew, and again, we don't really have crews in JFK 50. You could, but I, I don't think you didn't. I know I didn't. So I didn't have anybody out there that picked me up or met you along the towpath. And, you know, look, in the future, you could. I don't really see that being a big crew race. I see it more like if people are out there for me at different points and they had snacks I wanted and maybe they were going to run a mile with me, that would be super cool. But it's not like Moab 240 or running 100 where I might be like, okay, Lisa's going to run 10 miles with me. That's great. My other friend, John, is going to hook me up for like 15. Like you break it up. But you, I think the other lesson that's super cool is with two miles to go, all of a sudden you come back to life and you're running nine oh minute God. miles. And I'm like, these are the lessons though. Like you're like, I can't move. I can't run. My hips are <laughs> broke. My body's broke. All of a sudden it's like a dog at the dog track. All of a sudden it's like two miles to go. Okay, motherfucker, let's get the shit over and with. I right? felt great. Yeah. There was no pain. I was like, oh, I can yeah. keep going. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> And the vests, everyone, you're not alone. Nobody wants no. us fucking vests. And pro tip, I'm going to give you a pro tip right now. Even Mike Spindler will say that this is okay. Race director. Um, literally all the locals who run who have the vest, they literally like throw it on the side of the road when they get close because they don't want to go across the finish line. And I was going to go. Oh, I was I going. That's where you, saw, you put it because oh, yeah. I saw that pile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a pile. So no, no, I'm talking about before you get to the finish line. So you could go through the finish line without it. And um, this amazingly nice woman, I cannot believe it because I was so. You know, you don't want to walk 20 more steps. I don't want to go back there to get that vest. And I would have, I would never have like left it by a telephone pole. She walked up to the finish line and brought it to me. And I gave her a hug and I just said how, how much I appreciated that. Cause I didn't want to <laughs> walk like five <laughs> steps at that point, you know? Yeah. And then inside, just like you said, we all come back to life, right? It's like, Hey, let's get some selfies. Let's eat some food. Let's party. Um, so, you know, I think for your first ultra overall coming off your injury and all this other stuff, I think sometimes, you know, whatever, we got to have more than one goal and every good coach out there is always going to give you more goals. But in that race, man, if I was coaching, I would've been like, here's your goal. You're finishing. That's it. That's the only goal. Don't, I don't want to yeah. hear about any other goals. You're finishing. Okay. Because you, it's such a different race. I mean, you're not going to run any other 50 mile race. I, you'd do better in a 50 mile race that had 25,000 feet of vertical. You'd probably run a faster time. I'm just telling you, you would, but that's not the JFK 50. You got to survive the AT and then you got to endure the mind F of going down the, you know, the black riders path, the Lord of the Rings path, you know, uh, for like 30 miles. Well, it's not 30 because, you know, it's 26.4 and then you do the last 8.4, you know, on the roads, which by the time I was on the roads was pitch black. And when I say pitch black, you couldn't see like six inches in front of yourself. It was so dark running on that street. But it's a happy moment, you know, when it you is. see those lights and you get to come across, man. Yeah. Cool. So that was an amazing first experience. Obviously, if you were focused on time, 
you know, everybody has a time in your mind. I mean, hopefully you didn't let that give. No, good, no. Good. Yeah. I mean, I think like the way I view ultra running is just kind of similar to how I view life. It's like you, I, I willingly put myself in these races and these positions because I want to grow. I want to learn. I want to experience and, and, and do that digging through and processing and coming out the other side, you know, and it's, it's crazy. Cause it's like, we are crazy. Like, why do we choose to put ourselves through this torture? <laughs> I don't know, but I like it. I think it's the best. I always tell people to watch the Billy Yang, um, why 100 on YouTube. I mean, he's not the only, there's just so many good, you know, the content on YouTube about ultras and the whys, but also just the shots spectacularly. Um, and I, I'm not as cut out for the really technical stuff as maybe you are. And, you know, look, I'm going to be 61 in a couple of weeks. So, but that has nothing to do with it. I don't care. I'll put my endurance and my mind and my strength against anybody's, but the really like the UTMBs of the world, that's not, that's not a race for me. It's spectacular. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. I'd love to go there and watch the race and kind of be part of it, you know, as a, you know, maybe helping somebody being part of somebody's crew or running some section of it with them, but it's just not, it's not my strengths. I'd be better off and Moab 240. There's no, there's a dream. If there was a hundred there, I'd love to run in Moab. I've been in Moab before I've, I've mountain biked out there and run out there and it's just gorgeous. The red rock country is beautiful. Um, but you got to find your races that are a good fit. So are you and your coach like looking at new races, new schedule? Like what's, uh, what's up on that regard? It's really funny because I was thinking of the Javelin hundred, but then after JFK, I was like, I don't know if I want all that. Like we're going to, we're going to not just add flat dirt. <laughs> we're going to add it five loops of it. So it's still somewhat on my radar, but I, um, just, looked up there. I was going to sign up for the Silverton dirty ultra 60 K with ultra, but they canceled it. So I was kind of bummed about that. But the one I'm looking at now is the never summer 60 K or the hundred K. I think it's got roughly 15,000 feet of vert. <laughs> That's kind of, but, but the UTMB stuff and like the sky races that's what I love. Okay. Like I go out to Colorado every summer. I've been taking my kids out there for the past three years. We just get an Airbnb and hang out and, uh, I run and, um, I love being at high elevation. I love, I went out and I ran Mount Albert for fun. Damn. Are you thought, what about Leadville? I don't know. Um, I'm just also learning because I'm so new into this, like learning about all the like lottery and qualifiers sure. and all this stuff. So, so I'm not sure what races need certain things yet and whatnot. Yeah. It's, it's a whole world to navigate. Yeah. And, and now there's points and lottery yeah. tickets. And yeah. I know never summer has that's a, um, a, uh, Western States qualifier and also UTMB points too. Oh, that's another thing. I'm going to be uh, pacing out at Western States. So that's like another thing that kind of popped up for me this year, the community aspect. I got to, through Ultra, 
uh, I met another ultra runner who was looking for somebody who understood and could navigate te- the technical Pennsylvania trail systems. And so before I even knew what the heck he was asking, I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> He's like, do you want to pace me at Eastern States 100? And I was like, uh, that sounds really big. <laughs> well, look at my Strava. <laughs> 100. Yes. Big. <laughs> and he's like, far, yeah, great, far, great. But he finished 15th and I definitely, we made a good team and, um, I definitely picked up on nutritional things and, and a little, he liked to take trail naps. So like, luckily I was there and I timed him, and I only gave him two to five minutes. And then I woke him up. I said, let's go, you know, but if I wasn't there, he'd, he'd still be sleeping there. <laughs> so, um, he did really good and we worked together in Eastern States. So he's like, if I get into Western States, He's like, will you come? Peace. He said, hell fucking yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> what an opportunity. So he, he got in. So that's this June. So I'm super psyched about that. And that was interesting too. Like I'm finding as much joy in situations like that than I am for a race that I run for myself. Just to be there to support, to like even volunteering for the Moab 240, just to like, you know, hype up that last runner, try to hurry up and get them across the finish line just to be helping and like meeting other people. Like, I love that stuff. It's community. It's yes. different. Um, road racing, marathons, even miles, track. There, You know, sure, there's camaraderie and you see these elite men and women on these different elite track teams and NAS elite and this, uh, the Bowerman track club, the women that Shalane's coaching and, you know, there's definitely camaraderie and, you know, they have a huge presence on Instagram and what their workouts are and their races. And, and it's wonderful. You know, you feel like you're part of their journey, but there's nothing like the ultra community. There's nothing like it. If somebody goes by you and you're down on the ground, like people will turn around, they'll run back a half mile and they'll come back to you. Or if you tell them like, oh my God, I need some salt tablets. Somebody will run to an aid station and come back to you on the trail and find you. I mean, it's like, like you just don't see this. Like I wish in real life people would be this way to each other, like more because we would be happier people. And I don't mean just you and me. I just mean people, 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 like everyone um, collectively, Um, we look out for each other in the aid stations, like to make those people smile and laugh. That's like one of the primary ways I rate my race. How engaged did I get those people when I came to the aid stations? How many people did I make laugh? How many jokes did I crack? Did they deliver? Were they funny? You know, (laughs) did I make them feel like their aid station was the best ever when they're all the best ever? I mean, like, just like, because at that moment, I'm going to talk to Mike Spindler. I want your name. Your name. Who are you guys? Okay. This is eight station 46. Okay. I got you guys, man. I'm going to take care <laughs> of all of you. And you know what? Like God bless, man. If that's not what it's about and you raising your hand for a person you don't even know at Eastern States, like you see, you do something good in life with as zero expectation. You don't even know what you're offering up to volunteer for. And it leads you to having a chance to be a pacer at Western States 100 Girl, you better have a GoPro with you and take like 47,000 <laughs> pictures, man. Because I might just have to show up on site out there and do some like on-course <laughs> podcasts. And like, I mean, you just, uh, uh, Dylan Bowman and 
I'm trying to think of the elite woman who's amazing. She, the two of them were together. She's a great runner herself. So is he. They were just, a, they broadcast like the whole Western states. They were amazing together. And I just pissed. I can't remember their name. I can't think of her name. Dylan Bowman is the guy, but I, I forgot her name. But she was amazing. Like between the two of them, they knew every single runner. They knew the eight, they knew the crews. They knew everyone. And they just went into like such cool detail of what the runners were going through in the different parts of the course and you know who was done like it seemed like they were off the course like i mean camille had a rough day and it didn't even seem she was going to finish but she stayed out there man and she finished she rallied and then other people who were rolling just no they didn't um so i think you know that would be fun for me because i've never been there and rivs was there you know i mean rivs was literally out there hugging runners on the course yeah, and i mean it broke awesome. me down man i was literally like in tears seeing <laughs> those shots of him like these elite runners blowing through sections and like seeing rivs and just like being like oh my god it's tommy rivs like and they're hugging and you know god bless man wamsley all of them like ripping through there and wamsley running with his bucket hat man he looked like he was going <laughs> fishing he looked like he was going fishing in some like <laughs> local pond and the dude is like ripping miles at like insane paces i mean that dude is just amazing man he's just yeah. like all of them they're all i don't care if you were the last finisher in western states i don't care what time like just so cool so i mean being involved with that is going to just feed your passion and your energy and your drive more, you know, getting involved with the brands. I know you're doing stuff with ultra, you know, as an ambassador, like lean into that, man, dig into that stuff because that's where the growth comes from. You're going to meet more runners that are going to give you advice. And it's not just your coach, man. It's just, even though your coach is going to write out your prescriptive workouts and help you get healthy and get stronger and build you can learn from a lot of people out there. And there's going to be people going to be like, man, I really like Lisa. I want to help her out. I'm a team ultra athlete. Let's help her out. Let's do something for her. I mean, that's, that's what makes this sport unique. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. That's, that's, um, another big thing. I can't remember something you said in the beginning. It's like, sometimes it's not about like, if you're a, an elite athlete or a top finisher or a gold medalist, sometimes it's about like, how deep can you put your roots into the community? I mean, like, I really feel like that's the kind of person that I am. And I mean, six months in, I'm like ultra red and ultra spire and bigger than the trail. And like, that's because I put myself out there you know, I showed up and I, and I connected with people and I had a story to share and like a mission and like a drive, you know? So that's pretty, definitely, definitely very cool. I mean, that's, that's, that's the best. That's what this, that's what it's about, man. So like you open yourself up, you come into a sport that you're still so new to, you're learning like so much. You have so much to learn. We all, do. I do. It's going to be 61. Like we don't know all of this stuff. <laughs> Every day you can learn something new about how to train, how to be more fit, how to be stronger, how to take care of your body better, how to eat better. But way more importantly, digging those roots deep, yeah. connecting with brands, with groups, with sponsors, and getting involved with this stuff, 
Like that's just going to lead to long-term happiness in life and fulfillment, man. Because it's like someone out there is going to be like, wait, Lisa DiNardo just started running one year <laughs> ago and she's doing these cool things in the trail community and, and is involved with these brands. Like, wow, I could do this. Like yeah. I heard her podcast with Run Chats with Ron. <laughs> and like, I didn't know that she was only running for a year and she was a really good high school runner, but then she didn't run for like 20 years. Like I didn't know that. And like, that's really cool. So that's what it's about. Like to put yourself out there and just say, I'm going to get involved, man. I can raise my hand because if you would have overthought it, like I, I know the trail system, I know when I could guide somebody, if you would have overthought it too much, you would have been like, well, I'm not really that good of an ultra runner. How good of a pacer am I going to be? Like this dude might want somebody serious. Like you could have talked yourself out of that a hundred <laughs> ways to Sunday, but you didn't, yeah. you, you nope. put it out there and you went out there and you ran with him and you helped him and, yeah. Yeah, and, he, came, and he came in 15th and now he's going to Western States, which means you're going to go to Western States. So, you know, that's a, that's a powerful, that's a powerful story because we all have fear of these things. I'm not strong enough. I'm not fast enough. I haven't been doing this long. I, we can all find the things that make us feel like we're pretenders. We don't really belong. We're not ultra enough. I haven't run a hundred miles. I didn't do the 240. Like there's always going to be something there. But if you take all of those voices and say, shut the fuck up, I'm here. I'm, I want in like you did when you're riding your bike with no hands or just out <laughs> of the I'm in. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to let fear block the shit that I can do in my life. I'm just going to go. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to get involved and good things are going to come out of it. So more of that. Yeah. Just show up and you just do your best there. No question, man. No question. So I have to ask you about your drive your competitiveness, competitiveness, your spirit, like obviously it's strong in you. The force is strong in you, young <laughs> Jedi. So where do you, where do you think it comes from? I, I don't know. Like I've thought about this a lot. Like where the <laughs> heck did I come from? How did I come out of my family? You know, I'm not sure. Cause I think, you know, me and my siblings are all kind of different, but, uh, I definitely think they would all agree that I probably beat to a different drum a little bit more than the rest of them. But um, yeah, overall, I think that, you know, some harder situations in life uh, created this drive to just get back up and, and go. Like, I definitely think my kids, um, you know, they, I want them to see that they can do anything that they want to. Like, today was a snow day, and my younger two won an Oculus Quest. And so they went out and shoveled driveways, and they made $100 today. <laughs> That's the best. So like, I can already see, like, this drive that I have in them to, like, they want something, they're going to figure out how to make it work and how to get it. You know, it's pretty cool to see that. That's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. And that's how we learn. Um, you know, my mom with my brothers and I, you know, we, she worked and she's almost 90 and, you know, she worked at one job for like almost my entire adult life and retired at like 86 years old. I mean, she's had lymphoma for 30 years, like, um, strength, 
She's a tiny little Irish woman, but do not <laughs> fuck with her, man. She will chew you, me, and everybody else up. But she's also like the warmest person in the world. But her work ethic came through to all of us. So when she would say to us, you like, you guys need to understand the value of money. You need to work. You need to make some money. You need to either do chores around the house or figure out a way, some ways to make money and be like, well, what do you want us to do? And it, you know, so she would give us ideas like, well, you guys could do a paper route. You know, you could work at your dad's gas station pizzeria. You could go to the supermarket and push carriages around. And we just, through time, did all of those things. But you said the shoveling snow, and man, did that <laughs> warm my heart because we cut lawns and shoveled snow. But like to come home from a day like that, literally as a 12-year-old kid with like money in your pocket, <laughs> frozen, but you, it's just like this amazing feeling. Like I did this, like They're I did so this proud. as a kid. Yes. They sh and you obviously are proud because yes. you set that expectation, that path, you know, with how you work, how you raise your kids. So the same way my mom did the same way you're doing, it comes through. You may not think it does, but that work ethic, that drive, that ambition, it comes through. Um, and they're learning. They're learning by seeing, you know, how you tackle things and and take them on. So good job. And that has to make you feel great. Um, I always ask every guest, um, darkest hole they've ever dug out of, and even more so now in the pandemic. So a lot of people are, be it can be something specific from during the pandemic, or it can be from some other period of your life. You know, it doesn't have to be anything major, but if it's something important, like whatever it might have been and how, you know, how did you make it out to the other side? <laughs> Okay. So, um, definitely hands down the darkest period of my life involved getting out of my marriage. Um, it was not easy. It was a situation involving a lot of domestic violence, manipulation, bad stuff. Um, it finally got to a point where victims of my kids and I wound up at victims of prevention they um, helped get a lawyer and I got full custody of my kids and kind of helped me to know all the parts that I didn't know what to do with or how to work through them or, you know, things like money, get a job, how to get safety. Uh, so they kind of walked through and I never really knew organizations like that ever existed. But um, yeah, so I fell into some really great resources that kind of led me down that path. But, um, you know, even just leaving wasn't easy. There was a whole lot of emotional and um, personal work that had to be done. And um, yeah, my kids and I all were in therapy for four years with a therapist that works with cases with domestic violence. And um, I love my therapist. <laughs> she um, is amazing. We actually graduated, but, um, and got discharged because we were doing so well, but um, we still keep in touch with her. Now we get to go out and uh, have coffee with her every once in a while and visit. But um, yeah, I just, uh, being in a situation like that, you, well, I felt like there was no answer. There was no way out. And, um, 
it got bad enough where I didn't really have the fear anymore of what those pieces were going to look like. I just knew that something had to change. And so I changed it. And I see a lot of that similar mental strength in ultra running and what I do now. Um, Cause it's self-inflicted. <laughs> so it's kind of a little different, but it's exercising and using those resources over and over and over again. You're getting into a hard spot. We always have a choice. We can either feel sorry for ourselves and feel like a victim, or we can stand up and we can say, I know there's answers. I know somebody out there will know something. And you just take action. You take action and, and uh, climb up that mountain, run down that hill, keep moving your legs that are aching so bad because you'll get that much closer to the finish line. <laughs> well, God bless. And thank you for sharing that. I know it's difficult stuff to talk about and oh, amazingly challenging to work through and make it out the other side. Um, and thank God you're all safe and you made it through. Uh, and he came through it together, you know, as a family and um, stronger for it. Um, and what an experience to go through. But thank God you had a group advocating for you and like looking out for you and helping you um, see what some of those options look like. And obviously the therapy piece, you know, nothing could be more important because you, you, if you can't unwind all this stuff and make sense of it and understand it, um, and forgive yourself. You're not responsible for why this happened. And I think that's the hardest thing that people are in those situations are somehow blaming themselves, even though they're not oh, yeah, the, the person yeah. at all that re deserves any blame. But there's there's guilt. There's just so many emo emotions to work through. So, you know, as I say, like, God bless, like, thank you for sharing. And I, I'm sure that, you know, your connection with Bigger Than the Trail is probably rooted in there. It's probably one of the reasons why it means so much to you because so many people are struggling with mental health these days more than ever, like it's rampant and suicide rates are up and um, people that had been clean for so many years from drugs or alcohol have gone back because it's just, look, it, it's just been a, a rough, rough time. Um, we talked about it before we came on that we're living in Groundhog Day, except it's not one day and it's not funny and it's not a Bill Murray movie, which is amazingly funny and one of my favorites. It's... Uh, it's tough. So, you know, thank you so much for sharing that piece. No doubt um, that has forged your incredible toughness and strength and resilience. And, you know, I'm sure your kids um, are going to forever remember, you know, how you help, you know, guide them through that. So uh, thanks for sharing that. Thank you. You're welcome. And on community service, which is like the last thing, you know, I leave it with, um, you know, what's something that, you know, you've closely, you're closely connected with and why, you know, why, why does it resonate with you? Um, I mean, probably the number one is being um, an ambassador for Bigger Than the Trail. Uh, we do a virtual event every year and um, raise money that way. We do other fundraisers throughout the year. Uh, people make donations straight through the site and we provide um, free ther like therapy through BetterHelp um, for anybody who needs it. And I think a big change this year, I'm not really sure, but uh, I think we were able to take teenagers. And that's huge, too, because um, with all the virtual school and the school stuff, I mean, teenagers have really taken a big blow. 
in the past couple of years, that's been hard, but, um, yeah, just mental health, just talking about it, just, you know, for, for most of my life until I was like 35, you know, that's taboo. You don't talk about your mental health. You don't talk about how you're feeling. You don't talk about how your life feels like shit. You don't talk about like the crap that's going on behind closed doors. You just don't talk about it. No, talk like now I'll talk about everything. (laughs) Ask me anything. I'm an open book because I feel like the more we share and more we advocate for mental health and any kind of struggles, uh, the more permission we give other people to open up their heart and their struggles and, and start the healing process. Yeah. You could not have said that any better because I'm hoping that one person hears your story of, you know, the challenges you went through in your marriage and what you had to do to come out the other side, just hearing you talk about it so eloquently and, you know, what a struggle it was to get to where you are now. I, it's hard to imagine what an impact that can be. Um, and even if they don't listen to the podcast and they connect with you on Instagram and they send you a private message, like that's opens the door to helping heal one more person and then healing another person. And that's, that's what community is. So um, it's beautiful and it's powerful and it will resonate. Um, and I'm excited to keep following your running journey. I hope we get to rock a hundred somewhere together, but you can't pick one yeah, that has, totally. you can't pick one that has like 80,000 80, <laughs> feet of vertical, man, because you know, you'd be like, well, Ron died on the run, but you know, he was killing it before then. And he got some great selfies and, you know, I would expect it to also go to Instagram and be posted. You know, if it's going to be my last run, I want to be looking good in my last shots, man. Cause there is no better place to go, man. If you're going to go, let it be on a trail, let it be in an ultra, let it be in a race somewhere because (laughs) God bless, man. I'd be doing the thing, you know, that I love the most. So it'd be a beautiful thing. So I'm excited to keep following your journey. You got great things ahead. Keep doing the work with your coach. Keep digging into the community stuff. It's only going to, you know, fulfill you so much more and connect you with more awesome people. And it all comes back in the end. So one day you'll be on the starting line at Western States and you'll be rocking the Western <laughs> States 100. And that's like the big picture, man. Does it get any better yeah. than that, man? That's the dream, right? Yeah. Or UTMB or somewhere else. So anyway, thanks so much for sharing. I know it'll inspire lots of people and it will definitely resonate. So as we say at the end of every show, we tell everybody to keep lacing them up. Keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. Wow. I'm so inspired by Lisa's grit, by her strength, and how she persevered through all of that adversity, through the abuse, um, the dangers it involved, and just the steps that she had to go through for herself and for for her five kids to basically put their life back together again. Uh, It's really a remarkable story, one hell of a journey. And I think you can just hear the gratitude in Lisa's voice for the help that she was provided. And I think that's why she's willing to be open about the struggles that her family faced, the dangers that her family faced, and share it, you know, on the podcast in hopes that it could help um, another that might be in that same situation that might be feeling helpless or cut off. So kudos to her for sharing those difficult moments. And, you know, what a blessing to hear her talk about running uh, like the long lost love affair that it was Um, when she was eight years old, talking about the feel of the cinder track underneath her feet. 
it just connected with me. Um, I hope it has that same connection for you um, when listening to it. And to find your way back to running, you know, at the onset of the pandemic of all times to reconnect with running, um, it certainly helped solidify her life in so many ways and just connected her with her big love of being outdoors in the mountains and playing and uh, experiencing adventure, not only for herself, but with her family and her kids and wanting to pass that along. So I really enjoyed this one and it was super fun to get to meet her down at JFK, JFK 50, where she did complete her first ultra. And um, I hope you all enjoy this one as much as we did. It was just a super fun convo to host and I'm proud of her again for coming on and sharing her uh, remarkable journey. So Keep uh, doing those wonderful things that you do. Please keep sharing episodes on Instagram, stories, on Facebook, on Strava, or anywhere else. Word of mouth, old school, old fashioned. Every single share, every single time you communicate about an episode, a guest, and, and in some way, however, they might have moved you to get going again, um, or maybe something about their story just really resonated with you. And hopefully this one uh, from Lisa does as well. So thank you all who take those steps. Uh, Huge, huge thanks to everyone who goes the extra mile and goes on to Apple Podcasts and writes a review and talks about uh, something in an episode that was impactful to them. It really helps us gain traction, helps us move up in the rankings, and most importantly, gets us new followers on the Run Chats platform, which leads to me getting more awesome guests like Lisa. So thank you to everyone for being part of our journey. You're all part of the Run Chats platform and the family, and uh, we so appreciate every single one of you who clicks that download and subscribe button, uh, button and listens to our inspiring guests' stories. So uh, God bless you all. And as we say at the end, at every episode, keep lacing them up, my friends. Keep getting out the door. And always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out, my friends.